Amen. Good morning to you. Are you well? Who had the earliest Father's Day? I think it might be the Baker clan. I gather that... Can anyone beat one o'clock? No? No? And then was it one o'clock, two o'clock and... Yeah. Amy tried to celebrate Father's Day for the lovely Baker clan, if you don't know them at the front, here uh, every hour on the hour. What a lovely gift. What a really, truly gift. I'm fortunate to have uh, children that actually hadn't arrived home by one o'clock in the morning. So, uh, probably. So, there you go. So, you know, it's kind of, it's all good stuff. Um, As Tim said at the beginning, just really recognise, and uh, if you've been in the family for a little while... Um, uh, and know something of mine and Nikki's stories as, as leaders here. We, we've got the T-shirt on finding Mother's Days and Father's Days really hard work. Really hard work. We've shared before, it took us quite a lot of time to, in order to be able to have children. There was lots of time when we didn't think we would be able to by miracles of God through, uh, through uh, medical things and, and divinely in other ways as well. We've got two beautiful daughters. But we have got the t-shirt on knowing that church can be the worst possible place or can feel like it might be the worst possible place to, to be at. We avoided mothering Sundays. We avoided Father's Days at certain points in our story just because it can be so hard, can't it? But you know what? We were praying before the service, and we really prayed that uh, this will be, you might have imagined it was going to be hard work. Maybe even in this second, it still feels like hard work. But our prayer was that you will find this the best place to be today. Because whatever your experience, whether you're mourning the loss of a father or you're mourning uh, the absence of a, of a father, either physically or, or in terms of how they did their fathering, whether you're sad because you can't be a father yourself or you're sad because you don't feel you've expressed fathering care in the way that you would, you would hope, you are a guest. You're a guest of the father the great father, the perfect father. You're his guest today. And he loves you. And he loves us. And he wants us to be family together. You know, it it is a sadness that there were times that Nikki and I couldn't talk about or couldn't find it easy to talk about what it was like for us desperate to be be parents because it just didn't feel like one of those things that you could just easily, bizarrely talk about. That's no criticism of the church that's churches that we were in, just a reality sometimes that doing this family thing can feel hard. But if you're single, if you're divorced, if you're separated, if you're estranged, if you're, you are a guest of the Father, the Father, your perfect Father. And I love what Sue said earlier about us sharing in in fathering care. We share in fathering care. We we share in mothering care, or we should do, as a family of God together. That's a really hard thing to express in lots of churches. But in a church of our size, it's perhaps even more challenging to express that true sense of being family. And yet, this is a day, if nothing else, to commit ourselves to striving to working with God's power to be family together. You are so, so, so welcome. I I do have a word of encouragement for you from one of our our sponsors. Just put that slide up on the screen, the first one. Here you go, just a, a message from you. You are a great, great dad. Very special, very handsome, really terrific. 
everyone agrees, says Donald Trump. So if you were under no, any doubt. Today's encounter with Jesus features a dad, and he was desperate. He was desperate. He was so desperate that he was willing to uh, really put at risk everything about who he was and his position and his status and his power. And we're going to read that story in a little bit. Um, He starts off on the wrong foot, like lots of dads do regularly. You know, am I the only one who thinks, why did I open with that with my daughter? That really wasn't, you know, I'd just been up until that point in the conversation, be going, I'm not going to say it, I'm not going to say it, I'm not going to say it, I'm not going to say it. Darling, (laughs) open mouth, insert foot. This dad starts off in a a slightly different way, uh, but, but gets off on the wrong foot. But he shows some key qualities that I hope anyone might want to aspire, whether you're an earthly father or not, in our fathering care. And by the way, I am very conscious there are many women who exercise that kind of fathering care in their own family circumstances. Why are we doing encounters with Jesus? Well, I hope you got it by now if you've been here for a little while. Because we want to know what can we learn about God's mission purposes through God walking on earth, through God in human form, through God expressing the heart of God in in mission. What can we learn from these encounters about the big story, big picture of, of God's mission? But also, what can we learn from the specifics of how Jesus handles people and engages with people about how we can engage with people, with the 97% of people out there across Cheltenham, Gloucester, beyond Australia, wherever you come from, who don't know, who don't know how much the Father loves them and don't know the love of the Son and don't know the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, God, with us now. And so we've got our, our summer initiative. You may have noticed the trees at the, at the back growing greener. And uh, this is because we're, we're trying to work against. It's a metaphor, and like all metaphors, don't try and push it too far. Don't try and stretch it too far. But just ask what it might tell us. What we're trying to work against and, and hold ourselves to is against a false dualism in the world that kind of separates or suggests that you sort of separate your, your Christian life into a kind of a yellow space, a yellow kind of circle, my God times, maybe when I'm worshipping, maybe in a life group, maybe in a quiet time, those, those spaces where I can feel like I can express my faith in its fullest ways. And then there's this blue space, there's out there, out in the blue yonder, out in the world, we use that kind of phraseology, don't we? And it's the idea that out there it's much, much harder. You can't, you can't in a sense, fully perhaps be yourself. It's, a, it's not something that as a church family, this church family has ever bought into in any way at all. But it's a, it's a reality, even though if we know it's not meant to be how it is, it is how it can feel. Well, if I'm being honest, honest with you, it's how it can feel to me sometimes. And what we're saying is that God doesn't see separate. God sees only integrated. God sees green. To use, the, to use the imagery, use the metaphor of the, the yellow and the blue sort of flowing into each other. And I find it a kind of helpful thing, and I hope you do as well, that God only sees integrated in Christ, joined together. God only sees one life. God, God never talks about work-life balance. You know, I've said before, that's just the worst phrase to ever kind of use. There is no work-life balance. Here I'm alive, and here I'm working. Let's borrow a bit of time from work so that I can live. Let's borrow a bit of life so that I can work. 
God only sees one life. There is a life balance, or there isn't. And in the same way, you know, in every aspect of, of our faith, God only just sees this green integration of who we're called to be. And we're just using this metaphor, and we're saying, how can it be helpful to us as a church family, both together corporately and individually, to, to really have a sense of nurturing the green spaces in our lives, the more overtly obvious green spaces in our lives. And so that's why we've got some trees at the back with little leaves that are appearing on them. And someone's put, you know, I've joined a book club. Someone has said, I've intentionally, I'm having a barbecue with my neighbours on those little green leaves. We're, We're just saying, in whatever ways... We can say to God, Holy Spirit, come, because he's the one who does the work. Holy Spirit, I want to be more vibrantly green, more, more fruitful, more good soil, whatever ways you want to think about it, in my workplace, in my home, in, in any setting that you can think about. And I'd love to encourage you to, to fill in the leaves. It might seem like, a, you know, why would we need to do that? Well, I think it encourages I think it just encourages, maybe even you've been just encouraged. Someone else said to me right at the very beginning of this whole series, Andrew, you know, are you saying that I can go and play snooker for three days a week and that's God's stuff? Not three days a week, sorry, three hours a week. Whew, really a near. I said, yeah. You go and play snooker and you talk to people about your faith and you share life together and you get to know them, then praise God, that's being green. That's being space. We had a whole conversation at staff prayers this week about the times when those of us in ministry get asked by our hairdressers interesting questions, or our barbers, interesting questions. It's kind of like hairdressers become little green spaces in a way when they know what you do. You end up having a conversation. The whole, the whole place goes, I, I got a laugh when I said this because not everyone apparently gets their ha- hair washed. When they're having, I said, you know, it's those moments when I'm having my hair washed and the person says, so do you really think that prayer works? And the whole place goes completely silent. <laughs> and you're now trying to say, well, yeah, um, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, I have definitely... <laughs> what could it mean for you? to intentionally invite that neighbour to... Because to, it's about relationships, isn't it? As this little graphic just sort of kind of illustrates. We just have to be so clear. You know, the thing is, the 97% of people not connected with a church in our town, our region, our nation. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, the truth is, they may have deeply spiritual questions. We know this from things like Alpha courses, and maybe there'll be people here who want to do an Alpha course to an intentional space to ask questions. But we... We know even when we do get people joining us on Alpha Courses that so often they can think that church is the last place to come and ask your spiritual questions. Isn't that sad? A generation of people who've got deep questions, people who want to know what happens when you die, people who want to know uh, what happens when you pray, how does prayer work, people who want to know, want to know what we believe, and yet I'm afraid the truth is they're not breaking down the door. So it's about us, isn't it? About us building relationships. And how sad it is when some of us have to reflect how few relationships we have with people who do not yet know Jesus. How sad is that? It is a reality, I think, for a number of us. Again, I'm going to put my hand up to that one. 
And so how can we intentionally, intentionally, intentionally nurture? Again, a little problem or a danger or a tendency in a church like ours where we're blessed with such resources is perhaps even more potentially, please forgive me if this is not you, but intentionally, uh, potentially to imagine that it's going to be done for by somebody else. And yet, if I said to you, how did you come to know Jesus? How did you come to know Jesus? I'm certain that every one of you would tell me about people, about people who related to you. Even if you went to an amazing Billy Graham style of kind of gig, someone took you, probably. I know there's a few in the room who would probably say, I felt absolutely, I was only invited by God. I I was propelled into the space. But the majority, it's about relationships. Do you have relationships where people could be in danger of finding that you're a follower of Jesus? Andrew, do I have those relationships? Am I going to take the time to have a barbecue? Am I going to join a book club? Am I going to get on the ethics committee at work? Am I going uh, to really put myself out there? So look, there you go, that was the introduction, you like that, don't you? Today's encounter, this amazing story of an encounter with a royal official. And maybe if you want a subtitle, it's, uh, it's are you coming or going? Are you coming or going? Let, let's read it together. I hope you've got Bibles, I hope you switch them on. Grab ones at the front, because we're going to look quite a lot into this story. And uh, so switch them on, get them out, and put some of the words up on the screens, but it'd be so good if you're able to uh, do this. So let's have a look at, let's read through together. So it's um, John, John 4, and uh, here's this encounter. What can we learn from it? Um, after the two days, he left for Galilee, Jesus. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. That's in brackets. So John's little commentary on, on, this, on what's just happened. We'll come back to that, of course. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Hang a second, those two don't go together, do they? We'll come back to that, clearly. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, you may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. 
You might be thinking a little bit more of the same, Andrew. We've done quite a few encounters now. This sounds a bit like that one with Jairus. That sounds like uh, uh, some of the other ones where someone unexpected, maybe powerful or powerless, despite the obvious barriers, comes to Jesus and something in their response leads to a grace-filled response and a miraculous healing. And you might also be thinking, well, not for the first time, Andrew. This is one of those encounters where the healing happens over distance. Yes. But John wants us to really notice something through recording this encounter, which we haven't come across so explicitly yet before in the other encounters we've looked at. It's been there as a theme. It's a theme in John's gospel right from the very start. But we haven't seen it so explicitly. There's something about the response to Jesus in two different locations. And this is why you need Bibles open so that you can look before as well as looking after this incident that really, really matters. Verse 46, we're told that the encounter happens in Cana where the miracle of the turning of water into wine happened. The actual miracle happens in Capernaum, a couple of miles down the road, over distance. Verse 43, John tells us that Jesus has returned to his home area of Galilee. So when he's at Cana and he does the wedding miracle, he's surrounded by his family. This is his home territory. After he spent two days in Samaria... So what comes immediately before this in John's gospel is the healing of the, uh, is the woman at the well encounter in Samaria. You need to be looking in those Bibles to see. Verse 44, he does this knowing that it's a place where he will not be honoured. So what's just happened in Samaria? Well, have a look at verse 39. There we are told that the residents of Sychar, this is the place where the encounter with the woman at the well takes place, believe in him because of the woman at the well's testimony. Verse 41, we're then told that, and then, because of his words, many more become believers. Verse 42, what are they believing in? That he really is the son of God. He's the savior of the world. That's what's just happened in Samaria. Goes to Galilee, his home turf, and he gets a very different response. But but hang on a second, does he? Because John has said in verse 44, now Jesus himself had pointed out that the prophet has no honor in his own country. But verse 45, when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. He's not going to be honored, says John, but he gets welcomed. I have absolutely no idea what's going on, so just turn to your neighbor and see if you can work out. Have a quick word with your neighbor. This is participation. It's not, uh, you know, not a spectator sport being a Christian. What's going on? I do have an idea. Just have a quick word. What's going on? Is John wrong?
Okay, good. So unless you were all mumbling, I hope he's going to finish soon, there was a little bit of speculation about that. I wonder if you thought, as most commentators do, that the question is about the sincerity and the reason for the welcome. John wants us to notice that in Samaria, Jesus is believed in because of what they heard. Whereas in Galilee, they're coming to Jesus because of what they have I'm going to have to be careful to explain why I absolutely believe that what you see matters. Be clear about that, please. Have no one have any doubts. But do you notice that? So in Samaria, the people have heard. They've heard the woman's testimony. They've then heard Jesus speaking. And because of what they hear, because the words that they hear go into their hearts and cause them to respond to Jesus with a sincerity. And then they share testimony. They share more words. But there's a problem in Galilee that they're not engaging with what Jesus is saying. They just want him to do things for them. They just want a power trip. It's been a theme through John's gospel. In, in, in the first chapters of John, he's, Jesus has already highlighted this, this for us as a problem. And it explains his response, which at first sight is very lacking in grace, to the official. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. But who's he addressing? Unless you people. The man comes to him. He doesn't say, you are another example of what's going wrong. He uses the encounter to, in a sense, step back and say, unless you people. John is the gospel of signs. The first one we're told is in Cana with the, the, the turning of the water into wine. At the end of John's gospel in chapter 20, verse 30, John says there were so many signs, so many wonders, so many miraculous things happening that I can't even, even tell them all of you. I've only been able to list, most people think seven, some people say eight, others, others play around with these. These are the kind of like the key signs that, that take us through John's gospel. John's ministry is, uh, Jesus' ministry, says John, is consistently and entirely accompanied with miraculous signs. But what is their purpose? It is to point people to the divinity of Jesus and the coming of his kingdom and his message, repent and believe. And the Bible is absolutely clear that we are called then to, we're commissioned by Jesus to share in his gospel ministry of sharing the good news of Jesus with signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are, are fundamental in, in, to evangelism. People want to encounter, need to encounter the living God. 
We absolutely, as the apostles needed to do in Acts chapter 1, must receive the power of God to be the witnesses of the good news. Acts 6, Stephen did great signs and wonders amongst the people. Luke 10, Jesus sends out the 70. It's not restricted to only the apostles. There is no verse in the Bible that says these signs and wonders have somehow ceased. That is not what John is saying. It's not for a moment what I'm saying. But the purpose of the signs is to lead people into relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. To repent and believe. Acts chapter 4, the early church prayed passionately for signs and wonders, for the miraculous, for healings, because multitudes were coming and putting their trust in Jesus Christ. But friends, a sign has no use if it draws attention to itself and does not point you to its object, as my picture illustrates. A sign is intended to point you to its object. John 2, 23, Jesus has, we've already read commentary by John about a problem in the heart of the people in Galilee and Judea and the Jewish uh, religious. He's, Jesus, John says, now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs Jesus was doing and believed in his name, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them. For he knew all people. He did not need people's testimony about man. He knew what was in a man. This is why John takes a highlighter pen and draws our attention to the difference between the response to Jesus in Samaria and the response to Jesus back at home. The sincerity of the response. What is it that people are responding to? If you know John's gospel, you know that the religious leaders back at the very beginning of the gospel have said, uh, come and do some more miraculous signs for us. Show us your power. Did they believe in Jesus as the son of God? No. There are places where you could go, other than being here on a Sunday morning, where you would see things that had an apparent power to them, where you would see and witness things that appeared to be miraculous. You could go to places where people would tell you about your family, they would try and tell you about ancestors, or, or they would try and tell you about your future, they would try and prophesy into your life, they would use all kinds of language that would sound very, very similar to the language that we might use. There were places where you could go in Cheltenham right this second, where people would want to put a hand on you and to ask for healing in a powerful way. But they are not pointing to Jesus, Son of God, Saviour of the world. The commentator John Piper says, not all that looks like faith is faith, and saving faith is about humility, not power. 
When Mark, at the very beginning of Mark's gospel, you may remember us sharing this in an earlier series, where Mark sums up the gospel, repent and believe. Throughout Christian history, movements, evangelistic movements, have been marked with amazing signs, powers and miracles. But sadly, they've not always had the substance of repentance and the substance of real engagement with who Jesus is. Please hear me, friends. I'm not doubting. I'm not doubting for one second the significance of us praying for miraculous signs and powers in the name of Jesus. I'm not doubting it. It must accompany because people need to encounter. When you're, when you're lying back in your hairdresser having your hair washed and you're asked about prayer, you need to talk about encounter with God. When you pray for people, you need to pray for encounter with God's power, but lead them, lead them into encounter with the person of Jesus. Talk to them about Jesus. This is what John wants us to notice. And you know why that's true, because why does he heal the official son? Why does he heal the dad who's desperate but is approached in the wrong way? Why does he respond to his prayer? He responds to his prayer because when Jesus says, you people only want signs and wonders, he doesn't walk away. He doesn't say, oh, Jesus, oh, so you're, you're not going to do what I want, does he? He's persistent. He doesn't challenge. He doesn't, he doesn't as I say, turn away. He just says, please, God. He pleads. And it's an argument from silence, and you also have to be careful about those. But I hear in this story, I see in this story, in that moment, he gets it. In that moment, Jesus sees in his heart humility, desire, acknowledgement of who Jesus really is. Do you notice, I see as evidence for this, do you notice that the man says, Jesus, come. If you would just come and just do what I need you to do, then everything would be okay. And Jesus responds, he doesn't respond, come, he responds with the words, go. And the man doesn't say, no, Jesus, you don't get it. I need you to come to my son. What does the man do when Jesus says go? He immediately goes. Isn't that a sign of faith? John gives us commentary, some translations. The man took Jesus at his word. Other translations, the man's believed and went. Verse 51, further testimony, I believe, of the sincerity of this official's response to the person of Jesus. Verse 51, do you notice? His whole household believed. He shared a message, didn't he? doesn't say his whole household went to find Jesus for themselves and see what he could do for them. And so do you notice that this story then does become very much like the pattern of the woman at the well? There's an initial encounter. It doesn't seem favorable at first. 
The person being encountered by Jesus asks in the wrong way or with perhaps the wrong motivations. But then there is true engagement with the person of Jesus. There is transformation and healing. There is testimony and witness and salvations. So this story does say something to us about the scale of God's grace. In his weakness, this dad, in his desperation, this dad is met. He's given opportunity to get it. He's given opportunity to meet with Jesus. We do have a sense of the scale of God's desire for the 97%. This guy is a royal official. He's a member of Herod's household. He's risking everything to go to the itinerant preacher, Jesus, the one who's already being accused of stirring up and sedition. He's risking everything because he's desperate. And so then we do see the scope of God's grace. His power is limitless. He does heal over distance. It is perfect in its expression, the exact time. Scale of God's grace for you this morning and for me. The scope of God's grace for you and for me and for Hairdressers and neighbours and work colleagues and school gate friends and family. The scale and the scope of God's grace is limitless. Whatever. If people will desire to come into relationship with God. Repent and believe In the Welsh revivals, people walking past the places where they were singing the songs came in and fell on their knees in tears. Scottish revivals, Hebridean revivals, people, they were marked by community repentance. It's a little bit different to Love Island, isn't it? It's a little bit different sometimes to what you might imagine Perhaps we think. So challenges, friends. Are we constantly delighted by who God is? Are we constantly delighted in who Jesus is? Are we amazed by the scope and the scale of his grace? Or do we, well, when we're on home turf, can we have over-familiarity? Can we not sometimes have that sense of desperation that that dad had, begging and begging, God, please, God, please. Do we have that same desire? Do we have that desire for our green spaces? When we're looking for God's power, when we're eager to see God move, when we're eager for the presence of God, are we motivated in the right way? Are we eager for God's signs and wonders to 
take us into deeper relationship and to point people to Jesus. There is a danger in our tradition that we can come for what we think we need from God personally and just ask him to meet our needs. You know, for those of us who are struggling this morning, do you want it to change? Do you really want it to change, friends? And forgive me if that sounds harsh and, harsh and callous. But you can be defined by things. You can draw an energy from things. I know that in my own life. Even not the healthiest of things. Do we want the power of God to break out, to transform and to change us? Are we willing to repent? And I'm not saying that sickness is related to sin in that kind of way. But are we willing to come to God this morning? Are we willing to go rather than keep saying to God, come? Are we willing to go, not just keep saying, please come God, please come? If you're able to, would you stand? Why don't we just come before God? Just... Intentionally, Tim uh, encouraged us before to put a hand on our hearts. I'm going to do that. You don't have to do it. It's not magic, but it might just be a sign. Or you want to just hold your hands out and just say, Here I am, God. Here I am, my Father, my perfect Father in heaven. Here I am. You made me. You know me. You love me. In Jesus, you came and died on the cross for me. In the power of the Holy Spirit, you are fully present. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come with the signs of your kingdom rule. Come in power, we pray, of course. Come. But as we're before you now, God, we, we do repent before you of anything. Not, not again in a kind of, you can get into a false repentance cycle, but we just honestly and earnestly come before you now. Just sensing that official's desperation desire for you. We remember that encounter with the woman at the well and her, her desire for living water. Water that can quench every depth of thirst. Holy Spirit, God, come. We do just repent to you, God, if we need to. Only, only things that you point us to. Only things that you point us to, Jesus. Where we just need to say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if I've become over-familiar with your grace. If I've taken it for granted. I, I repent, God, if I've, I've just been inviting you to come and do things my way. And you've been telling me to go, and I've not gone. <laughs> I, I repent of that. I repent of if I've not trusted and believed in any area of my life. I come to you, God. Holy Spirit, come. And I, 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 I say sorry, God, if I've, if I've just not shared a story with others, if, I, if I've not been a witness to what you've done in my life and, and whatever reason, 
come now, Holy Spirit, and, and give me a voice. Give me a voice to share testimony, to share what you, Jesus, precious Jesus, have done in my life. And God, I'm sorry if I've divided my life into blue and yellow or any other division that does not speak the truth, that there is only one me in Christ. And your kingdom comes and your kingdom rules everywhere. And the Holy Spirit comes especially for any who are now just want to say, God, I want it to be different, but I don't know how it can be different. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and would you be the answer? Would you give us as a church family a, a real new passion, a real desire for you, Jesus, for, and to share the good news of Jesus Christ with all those? There is no limit to the scope, the scale of your grace, God, of your fatherly care. Come, come.